Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Apparently, Mattel, the toy maker, <clears throat> has decided it's going to weigh in on the political polarization in America and actually make a little money on the side here. They're releasing a limited edition Uno deck of cards with politically what they call politically neutral colors. This is called nonpartisan Uno. No red cards, no blue cards, and that means taking no sides. <laughs> I'm serious. I, the color blue used by Democrats, color red co-opted by Republicans. So they say whether you lean a little left or a little right, one thing we can all agree on is how much we love Uno. So they've actually created a video, and uh, they say about 40% of people admit that opposing political views in their families are problematic. Well, that's true. A 2017 survey by the American Psychological Association did find that 38% of respondents to the survey said their stress level increases during the holiday season, partly due to family gatherings where people have, uh, you know, politically partisan conflict. So what they've got, uh, so Mattel is going to allow us to do a nonpartisan uno so we can, quote, stop talking about things. And I think this is a good illustration of spiritual immaturity, by the way. Obviously, it's a, they're attempting to sell something for the Christmas season, a way of cashing in on the popularity of Uno. But, you know, people have lots of games already. So now they have a nonpartisan Uno. So their solution to partisan conflict is to stop talking about it. Don't start understanding. Just stop talking and this goes back to the what we used to say many, many years ago. My parents said it all the time, that are parties. We don't talk politics and religion, right? That's the old way of putting it. So now Mattel's able to cash in on, on that as well. There's something real much more serious going on, of course, in American society and culture right now. Uh, I came across a column written by Gunnar Gunderson in, over the Catholic thing, and it got me thinking uh, about this. Uh, the phrase post-Christian America or post-Christian society. You may not realize it, but it's been around for a long time. You know, during the days of Chesterton and then Lewis, we were talking about post-Christian society then. And so we should, you know, this is not new. This has been a long time coming. Pope Benedict XVI points out in uh, Space Salvi that a society that rejects Christ doesn't simply move on. Uh, this kind of society ends up becoming in opposition to Christ. In other words, it's having to negate what was once before it, right? You negate where you come from. You are setting yourself in opposition to your tradition, in opposition to your past. So instead of being post-Christian, a society that's rejected Christianity necessarily is going to become anti-Christian. And it's not just that uh, they become anti-Christian, that society becomes anti-Christian, but in fact they use what they learned from Christianity to help marginalize Christianity by way of saying, well, we've gone beyond that. Uh, let me give you a few examples here. Uh, take, for instance, um, the, the value of uh, the, the elevation of women and the value of children. Uh, in the first century, when Jesus came into the world, when the Word of God took on human flesh, Roman society had a very low view of women. Uh, we also had a situation where children really gained their value through the dictates of the 
the pater familias, the father of the family. He was basically the emperor. And uh, Christianity comes along and says that uh, husbands have a responsibility to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We're not to, you know, command our family like, you know, General Patton would command his troops. Um, the family's supposed to become not a matter of the command of the father, but the love of the father, the value of children along these same lines. The Old Testament emphasized children as a blessing. Uh, blessed is the man who has his quiver full, you know, the, 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 from one of the Psalms. The idea of children uh, as a blessing of God was very different than the way children were viewed in the uh, Roman world. It wasn't uncommon for babies to be abandoned or aborted. If they were malformed upon birth, they were often killed. And these abandoned babies would be picked up sometimes by others because they could be reared as slaves. Many times they were just abandoned and then eaten by vultures or, or dogs. It was Christianity that drew an aura of protection around children, just as it drew an aura of protection against, around wives and mothers. Um, so St. Paul would write, for instance, not only husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, but he'd also say, fathers, do not provoke or exasperate or antagonize uh, your children. The idea is that the gospel informed uh, a family and uh, that the good news of what Christ had done on our behalf um, would lead fathers not to command their children, but to persuade their children. Uh, and yet now we actually find people saying, as, as the former president of Ireland, Mary McAleese, has pointed out, that Christianity is uh, dangerous. Uh, infant baptism is dangerous. We shouldn't be assigning a religion to our, our children. Uh, and religious education can also be child abuse. That's actually been said. Uh, Richard Dawkins made that clear. Uh, well, a decade ago at least, and it's been picked up by other of those in the so-called elite. We also see that science, which was clearly an outgrowth of medieval, uh, late medieval thinking, and then picked up around the time of the uh, Protestant Reformation era as the, the great scientific enterprise, this was born out of a Christian understanding of the world. I won't go into detail on this, because we've talked about it many times before, but it was basically the medieval insistence on the rationality of God that gave uh, our culture confidence that our mind was coordinated enough with the external world that we could investigate it. it the world was created and reflected the mind of God, so it was a worthwhile enterprise. That becomes clear in the late Middle Ages, and then the scientific enterprise is, uh, is conceived and birthed. But that's now being used. Science is being used as a wedge uh, that, uh, against uh, Christian faith. And we also see in another area right now the idea of uh, democracy being used against us. Uh, what we don't realize is that democracy is a fairly late development in the history of political thought. It develops in the West, or let me make it more specific. It develops in America, largely because uh, the Protestant Christians, who uh, were part of the founding era and then the early governing era of the colonies, 
basically had a congregationalist policy. So you had kind of a democratic policy within the church. And this was picked up and applied to civic authority as well, so that people would be governed by their own consent, right? The consent of the governed. This clearly comes out of a certain understanding of the nature of the church and goes back even before that to the idea that all human beings have intrinsic dignity because they are made in the image and likeness of God, and they are those for whom Christ died universally. It applies to everybody, no matter how deformed, no matter how low on the social and economic spectrum, no matter what gender or sexuality, no matter what degree of education. All people are to be regarded as worthy of respect because they are themselves created by God. But what we're hearing today is that somehow you can have democratic ideals without the metaphysical framework that gave birth to democracy. And again, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote about this. He said, democracy, as understood today, need not and did not automatically spring from you know the ancient world. It was, in fact, first shaped under the special circumstances of American congregationalist government, uh, apart from the classical European traditions of the church-state relationship. In America, democracy itself is clearly a, a gift of the Christian church. Our civil policy or polity is directly related to the Christian understanding of the dignity of all people. So that's why John Adams second president of the United States, could write that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And this has been a theme uh, from the founders right on up to a uh, very present day. I mean, you even find this in Barack Obama. Even President Obama would, uh, you know, at least in his public utterances, talked about this idea of the city upon a hill, and again, that democracy is rooted in the universal value of all human beings. Uh, this is a Christian conception. And there's a fourth area here, not only in this area of the children and family or the science revolution or democracy, but this the new anti-Christian impulse is using Christian concepts against uh, the Christian community these days. You also have it in this new fascination with socialism, right? Um what people don't realize is that there was a brand of socialism in the 19th century that wasn't atheistic. It was rooted in uh, some kind of quasi-Christian spirituality. Now, there were lots of problems with it even then. But I want to point out one thing. The so-called spiritual socialists of the 19th century disagreed about many things. But one thing they agreed upon, and that is that the socialism they were talking about had nothing to do with government-centralized power. It was strictly voluntary. And they believed, and they had, a, I think, an overly optimistic view of human nature, but they believed that uh, an authentic socialism, by which they meant that all would have what was necessary for their survival— that it required a revolution of the heart. Now, Dorothy Day is a great example of this. She practiced and promoted voluntary poverty. Uh, in the 1930s, uh, when there was all this talk 
of the of the New Deal. Uh, she was scornful. She uh, she thought people were putting their trust in expanding national government. But her understanding of equality, as St. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 8, is that this can't be done by government. It has to be done by a rebirth of the human heart. It has to be done purely voluntarily. So we're living in a time where the gifts that the church has given the world, whether it's the uh, elevation of women and the value of children, whether it's democracy or the scientific enterprise, or now the idea of equality among peoples, this is being used against the very community, the Catholic community and the Christian community, that once gave these as gifts to the world. Uh, A new society doesn't become merely post-Christian. It will become anti-Christian. We ought to prepare ourselves.